Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for living a better life. I am Zanashe. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So today we're going to talk about intimacy and we're also going to talk about how we have dealt with that topic, which can be very difficult for people from many different reasons. Um, some people come from histories of abuse. Some people come from alienation. And so it's not always easy to get to intimacy with yourself and with others. Um, so we're going to be talking about kind of why it's important and kind of our own personal journeys to that and, and our own backstory. So I have a guest with me, uh, Jill E. Schultz. So say hi to the people. Hello. How are you? I'm great. And I'm so happy to have you on your background in the back looks amazing. And, and I hope it's not as cold there as it is here. <laughs> I'll tell you, my house has zero insulation. So even though I, I'm in San Diego, even though it's like 64 degrees, my house is like 50s, so like all bundled up. I've got my heater going. So probably not as cold as back east, but yeah. You look very cozy. So, you I know, cozy. <laughs> so, so that's a great thing for, for intimacy to, to look cozy, yes. you know, and I think this is a very timely topic because I think we are in the holiday season. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Christmas is coming. And so some people are going to be around a lot of relatives, friends, coworkers going to holiday parties and maybe trying to build intimacy with others. And other people may be dealing with isolation and alienation and may not feel comfortable in all of these uh, touchy feely spaces that are coming up. Yeah. You know, so we have both. Um, I guess, aspects of that kind of the yin and the yang of, of intimacy. So uh, I wanted to kind of start with the definition of what it kind of means to you. Yeah. Um, intimacy is a hundred percent vulnerability, like really just being your authentic true self and being completely vulnerable. I agree with you. Um, vulnerability can be very difficult, but I, I think it's powerful when we can get to that space where we can be vulnerable. And especially, I think it's powerful when we can tell our truth. And so I think that that helps build intimacy with ourselves and, and with other people, um, being able to tell our truth, being able to just, I guess you could say, some people would say, come out of the closet or, or take off the layers or the masks. Mask, yeah. And, you know, I, I say sometimes intimacy is into me, see. Mm -hmm. So you let people see into you. You let them see possibly your fears, your insecurities, your hangups, and also the great things about you. And you bond over our, the shared humanity that we all have. So, yeah. So I, I normally put up a list of 10 topics and I know you probably saw those topics. So what kind of made you feel like intimacy would be something that you could bring some insight to? Why, why did you feel like you had something to say about it? Well, I think because you and I have backgrounds in sexual trauma and intimacy and, and also being in a space of receiving, because I think it, that's also part of being intimate is receiving from other people, love and understanding and um, connection. 
have been a place that I've struggled for a very long time until I was able to, you know, really do the deep work around healing and self-forgiveness and self-love. So um, I think it's a great, great topic to cover right now. I think what you said is so powerful. Um, I wrote a children's book. It's called uh, You Are Loved and Wanted Because You're You. And you're talking about struggling with self-forgiveness, struggling with self-acceptance, struggling with self-love. And I think a lot of times it is difficult for us to be able to receive intimacy, to receive love because we we don't feel worthy. We don't feel, we, we feel damaged. And, and coming from a, a sexual abuse standpoint, there can be a lot of guilt, shame, and feelings of, unworthiness that were damaged goods. So all of that can be something that causes us to shut off, close off, and we push people away and we shun intimacy because we're scared. If people see into us, they're not going to like what they see. They're not going to accept what they see. They're not going to embrace what they see. And so we, we hide, we push away. And you said healing, healing is so important in being able to develop that, that intimacy, because you have to first heal with yourself, you know, and, and heal with your, your mind, your emotions, the traumas that you may have, and then be able to possibly heal some of those bonds with others. So I know that you like to do kind of, um, I guess, an introduction or a little speech before you say what you're going to say. Disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. A little disclaimer. Yeah. So um, I think this might be a good time for you to do your disclaimer before we kind of talk about why you have a, a, maybe a unique story in terms of coming to your place of dealing with intimacy. You know, I think we, all of us have, a lot of us go through similar things, but I think your story might be slightly different than other people. And you're able to bring a, a new perspective than, than other people. So if you want to do your disclaimer. Uh, yeah. Well, sadly, my story is not that foreign to people. It's just not being talked about. It's way more common than what's being talked about. But um, yeah, I, I just, it's really important to me that people are safe and the conversation you and I are about to have can be very triggering. Um, I, I always say sexual trauma is like a wave, like you remember, then you forget, and then you remember and you forget. And so if right now the words that I say are a memory to you, or it's something that you know, that you finally get to look at and deal with, I need you to be safe and protected. So um, on my website, Jill E. Schultz, and you can see my name on the screen, um, jillieschultz.com, I have a resources section. And under that resources, you say that fast three times, resources section, there's a get help. And there are lots of um, different organizations there, anonymous organizations where you can call and share whatever you need to share in order for you to be safe during this conversation. So thank you so much for letting me say that because that's one of the most important things to me is knowing that people are protected right now. Well, I, I definitely want people to feel protected and know that they have resources. And it's great that you have anonymous resources where people can reach out to get to get help and, and even to speak their truth and get support through whatever they're going through. So that's that's pretty amazing. 
that you have that available to people. Thank you. Yes. So, um, you know, in my healing journey, um, I, I've used a lot of tools to get to deeper intimacy. You know, journaling has been one of them. Meditation has been one of them. Breath work has been one of them. Therapy has been one of them. Um, and a lot of even watching videos like this, yeah. reading books from people who've gone on a similar journey to mine, those have been part of my healing journey because I want to, you know, one of my goals is to live my most authentic, most fulfilled, most healthy life and to be able to have great connections with the people that are healthy to have great connections with. And, you know, as a survivor of, of sexual abuse and even physical abuse, safety, you know, feeling unsafe, mm -hmm can keep you away from all those things. And then there has to be a point where you feel like, okay, I am safe and I know how to protect myself and I have tools to protect myself. And I think that that helps people to take some of the risks that are involved in developing intimate bonds with other people. You know, so um, I'm going to kind of let you have the floor. And, and I know that you kind of wanted to take us on a journey of where you were and where you are and, and kind of what you offer people in this journey to intimacy, this journey to healing. Cause I definitely feel that healing is a journey, not a destination. And you said it perfectly when you said that there is kind of peaks and valleys. Yeah. And when we're dealing with things like abuse, especially that happened to us many times when we were children and we were in our formative years and we didn't know all of the things we know now. Mm -hmm. um, so we got some, maybe some wrong ideas in our head and we had to unlearn things. So as we're kind of going through these peaks of feeling, oh, I'm so healed. And then we go down into, oh, I'm not healed. <laughs> and I'm healed and I'm not, you know, there is kind of um, a waves, like you said, waves of, of emotion, waves of memory, waves of, of layers that come out of things that we, we, we remember or we have to deal with. So I think that it's great, you know, that you kind of mentioned that because I think that sometimes people struggle because they think, oh, I thought I was done with this. I thought it was over. I thought I was past this. And then something else comes up. Yeah. And I think that it's great for us to have platforms like this with people who have been in that space to say, it's normal. What's happening to you is not strange. It's part of the process. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And there's going to be ups and downs with this journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, I've, I've done therapy with a couple of different therapists during this journey. And like, I'd walk in the door and be like, how many sessions do I have to do in order to be fixed? You know, like yeah. I'm always, I'm always looking for the end game. I'm always, I'm a, I'm always looking for the solution and the resolution. So I think it's funny that you said that. Cause I many times been like, and then I was healed. And then years later I went back to therapy. So and there's always that onion, right? There's always an, the onion that we get to peel back, back the layers, but yeah, my my story, like I said, is unfortunately more common than people know, but it's not being talked about. So God came to me last summer and decided that this gets to be my purpose in life. 
And so it's my goal to share my story so that I can collapse time for other people. I lived in shame for 41 years around my trauma. And I don't want you to live for 41 years in pain and shame and self-loathing because life on the other side of healing is magical. So I, um, I was molested when I was around three or four years old. I don't remember. And, I, you know, we talked about remembering and not remembering. I've never known who did it. I think I've been told because the memory is so deep that it most likely was somebody that I love very, very much. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when there is abuse with children, it's somebody that's very close to your child. It's not, oh, it's rarely stranger danger. It's usually a family member, a, a, you know, whatever. So anyway, I, I don't remember who did it, but what happened with me is in between the ages of seven and 12, because of what somebody taught me to do, I was innocently and curiously experimenting and acting out with other children. And just the level of toxic shame that I lived with for, for that many years was debilitating. And so, you know, I, um, God wanted a book. So there's a book. And I love that you were talking about, this is called Liberated, Releasing the Dark Cloud of Shame. And I love that you talked about like finding resources. Like there's a lot of information out there right now, like podcasts like this, books, other things that you can get access to, to help you along the healing process. And the main point for, for writing this is I just wanted people to know that they're not alone because I thought I was the only little girl that ever acted out like that. I thought I was a monster. I thought I was a pedophile at 12 years old. I thought I was a pedophile. And I just want people to know that they get to talk about it. You get to get help. You get to forgive yourself. You get to love yourself and you get to live a magical, magical life. So thank you for giving me the space to talk about this. Well, I think it's very powerful and it's very needed because I think one of the big fears that a lot of survivors of abuse have is that we're going to, you know, do it to someone else. And it's not that we have in a sense, like the compulsion or the same motivation. It's that it's a learned behavior when you, like you said, you were acting out, you know, what you had been taught with other children. So, you know, when you don't know, proper, I guess, expression of sexuality and you're, you're, you're exposed to something that you shouldn't have been exposed to at an age that you shouldn't have been exposed to it. Yeah. It's learning what you need to learn about what's proper, what's improper. And then it's also like, how can you talk about this, you know, to people? Yeah. Because there is so much shame and so much, um, you know, I come from a very Catholic background when I was growing really? up. And, and even something like touching yourself, like you wouldn't even use the M word, uh -uh. you know, touching yourself is, yeah. is like, you're going to, you know, be this horrible person. If somebody finds out that you even touch yourself, you know, because that's just vile. So there's so much shame in many religious and conservative circles about anything that is related to pleasure, the sexual organs, any of that, um, that how do you even go about as a kid, as a teen, 
talking about this with somebody. So it's, it's so great. You know, I remember when books began to come out like good touch, bad touch, and some of those things began to come out and it became a little more normalized to begin to start having these conversations. I was a parent when some of that stuff started to happen. So it was way past my you right. know, preteen and, and teenage years yeah. because I couldn't even imagine. I remember my mother and father arguing about when they were going to have the, the birds and bees talk with me. And, and they literally decided to hand me a book called, where do you come from? <laughs> because they did not want to even have that talk with me. And so when it comes to things like um, going beyond the birds and the bees to, um, you know, good touch, bad touch, being molested, there's just so much. It's, I, I'm so thankful that we moved to a space where this is more talked about. We can have a podcast like this. People can realize there's resources and that they don't have to experience shame about things that happened to them or blame themselves for things that happened to them that really were not their fault. You know, so it's, it, your story is, is needed yeah. because there was a whole desert where there was no resources Nobody that was most people about knew about when, yeah. when you and I were growing up. Yeah. There's so much to unpack here. Like you keep saying things that I'm taking notes. I'm like, I need to say something about that. I need to say something like there's so much to unpack here. And, you know, I, I want to touch on the birds and the bees because it, my therapist wrote a chapter in the book about how to talk to your children about sex and their boundaries so that your child is not targeted. And then if your child is targeted and is hurt, what to do. Um, but talking about the birds and the bees, it's so funny because parents think it's that one time conversation. How many times did you have to learn how to add, subtract, multiply, divide? How many times did you have to go through those exercises to learn these things? So it's so important that we have these conversations with our children over and over and over and over again so they understand that nobody touches you there. And, um, you know, so they can create their own boundaries. So, you know, education is so important around this topic. So I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. The other thing that um, I wanted to touch on is, you know, talking about it. And I remember um, when I, when I was 33, I'm 55 now, when I was 33, I, um, knew I wasn't connecting with men. And you've said so many things today that I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. And intimacy. And I never wanted a man to see me. I thought I, uh, I'd be out in a bar or restaurant or whatever. And a man would walk in and he would look at me and I'd immediately look down because I'm like, how, if a man knew what I had done, how could he love me? Now I'm like, how can he not love me? I'm amazing. But you know, just all of those feelings of not wanting somebody to see inside of you. And so that's when I knew the first time that I had to go to therapy before I got fixed and then went back to therapy and got fixed. Um, but going into to see that therapist. And for those of you who are listening right now, and this is your story, I know what you're feeling right now. You have this pit in your stomach and you're just feel sick about it. And you're like, how can I even tell anybody what I've done? And I will tell you it amazes me. Every time that I've shared my story since, the level of love, kindness, understanding, compassion that is on the other side of you saying those words is 
it, it, it makes me emotional every time I talk about it because I was expecting for him to see me as that monster and that pedophile. And he had so much compassion for me and what had happened to me that it blows me away. So I need you to know if this is your story, you get to talk about it. Shedding that shame is sexy. Let me tell you, you get to talk about it. You get to get it out of your body. And whatever that story that you've made up is, is the fear that you've created around that is false. I promise you. I promise you, promise you the reaction that you're going to get is way different than what you think it is. And I'm sorry, I just really got on my soapbox about that one. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I don't think that you can tell people enough that, what happened to them is not their fault. And yeah. some of the behaviors, you know, like for example, I got out of a narcissistic relationship yeah. not too long ago. And then I found myself um, reacting, being much more reactive if someone did something or said something to me. And I didn't understand because I've, I've, my nickname is Zen. So it's like, I've always been very peaceful, yeah. placid. I, I, you know, I've cussed out like three people in my entire life, you know, so I was never reactive. So I didn't understand what was going on until I learned the term narcissistic fleas. Mm -hmm. And basically it comes from the idea of you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. So basically when you're in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic tendencies, what tends to happen is you absorb a few of those. Yeah. And you begin to exhibit that behavior and it's actually a reaction. It's, it's a reaction to the abuse. It's probably like a survival mechanism. Yeah, it is a survival mechanism. So what you have to do is you actually have to heal the nervous system. You have to heal that part of you. That's kind of saying I've been kind of beat down and now I'm, you know, rising yeah. up. You have to kind of calm that set and say, Hey, you're safe. You don't have to react to other people that way, yeah. you know? So when I began to learn that this is, it's kind of like a reaction that you can't necessarily control until you're aware of it. Yeah. And then when you're aware of it, you can begin to take steps to control it yeah. because it is, it's a reaction to the abuse. So there are many things that people don't understand. For example, when I first went to, um, I guess I got into my relationship after being in a domestic violence situation. Um, there was a time when a guy got angry with me and he got close to me and I flinched uh -oh. because I expected that he was going to hit me. Yeah. And he jumped back because he was scared that I was flinching from him. Like, Oh my God, like, you think I'm going to hit you? Yeah. But my flinch was involuntary. I couldn't have stopped it. I didn't know I was going to flinch before yeah. he got in my face. And he you just were got in puppy. my face verbally, you know, yeah. he just was like, ah, you know, with the finger, you know, the, yeah. you were a <laughs> puppy. When he put that finger up, you know, I'm flinching. Yeah. So I'm just saying that we have to be gentle with ourselves. Hmm. We have to understand that our bodies, our nervous system is there to protect us. And it's going to sometimes do things that we don't expect because we have been in unsafe situations and part of the healing process is understanding okay what i just saw that flinch lets yeah. me know i've got some healing to do right i've yeah. got some triggers uh -huh. that i didn't realize were there 
Yeah. And I need to go to therapy or I need to go through whatever process to make myself feel the safety or the, the release or whatever it is you might need. So we have to, I think that hearing your story and also hearing my story lets people know that this is just part of the healing process. You know, if it was a physical thing, you would get a scab, you know, you would have a welt, you would have a black, you know, a black mark, a bruise. And that would just be part of the physical healing process. The bruise is going to fade. The scab is going to fall off, but it takes time. And the same thing with mental and emotional scars, they're signs of that abuse or that, you know, whatever happened to us, there's signs in our behavior, in our words, in our actions. And we just have to realize, okay, this is part of my healing process. Let me get some help. (laughs) Let me get some tools to move through this healing process. Yeah. So So you were talking about kind of, I like when you said shedding the shame because Mm -hmm. shame is such a debilitating emotion. And uh, I I hope that no one ever feels shame. I hope that they'll, you know, listen to us and realize that shame doesn't have to be a part of their healing process, that they can shed that shame and they Mm -hmm. can just accept, you know, their reality and, and, and get help with their, with their healing process. Cause I think shedding shame is, is powerful. I think everybody needs to shed the shame, especially of things that happened to you where you were a victim. Yeah. Cause we have so much victim shaming in our society and it's wrong, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, even if your shame is stemming from something else, not everybody has sexual trauma, but right. everybody has a secret. And whatever that secret is, is holding you back. And I I love this. I have a a worksheet on uh, my website. It's called Uncover Your Shame. So if there's something that you're like, something's going on, I don't quite know what it is. You can download that worksheet. But there's one question on there that I just love. And it just lands so intense. And that question is, what is one thing only you and God know? Mm. And when you can figure that out, then you can start, number one, taking responsibility for your life because, and I'm not talking about if somebody hurt you, you don't take responsibility for what they did to you, but you get to take responsibility for your life right now. We don't get to be in victim mode. You don't get to continue to blame everybody else for all your problems and your woes in your life because you are the creator every day of your life. You get to decide every single day what your life looks like. And so you get to figure out what that shame is and you get to look at it head on and you get to say, you don't own me anymore. And that's some of the first steps that you get to take in starting the healing process. I like that. You don't own me anymore. You don't own me anymore. I like that. You know, um, I did a workshop. Shame cannot live in the light. Mm, That shame cannot live in the light. Yeah. I've heard it said, you're only as sick as your secrets. That's a quote that I've heard before. And I did a workshop. It was a, a workshop on transformation, people moving from one state to the other. Like, you know, you're going through transitions and you have to, kind of grieve the loss and then Mm -hmm. move forward. And one of the things that I gave the workshop participants was called a deed to myself. Oh, and basically it had had like 
a lot of mantras on there, but basically it was like, you belong to yourself. You don't belong to the other people out there that may have expectations of you that may have uh, thought that you were a certain way or expected you to be this way. You don't belong to the future. You belong to the present, you know, and you can choose what you want to do with yourself and you don't owe anyone that decision. You know what I mean? You can make that decision. And while we, while we have connections to people and while we have responsibilities, we still own ourselves and we own our, our emotions, our decisions, our, our skills, our abilities, all of that belongs to us and how we choose to use that to meet our responsibilities and to connect to people is up to us. We can set our boundaries we can um, decide our standards, our preferences, and we are fully in our right to do that. And a lot of times, you know, and, and one of the things it says in there is you're also allowed to take up space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many of us that feel like we, like when you were talking about when the guy came in the bar and you put your head down, mm-hmm. you know, like you didn't want to be seen. You didn't want to, in a sense, take up space. He yeah. was noticing you and you wanted to shrink. So your space was smaller and you were less visible. Yeah. But one of the things I wanted people to see is you're allowed to take up space. You're allowed to this part that this you that is in this world is supposed to be in this world. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to move through this world and have an impact. And it's okay for you to have an impact because some of us are always shrinking and always hiding and we're not taking up the space that we have basically a God-given right to have. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of written in there and people were, you know, we were reading it together and some people were like, you know, I never thought I, I, I have a right to take up space. I never thought that I have the right to my own decisions. You know, I've always felt guilty about that or I always felt shame about that, but just to, just to give ourselves permission. Yeah. You know, a lot of my work is on getting people to give themselves permission Yeah. Because sometimes we don't feel like we have permission. 100%. And you get to set boundaries. You know, you get to set boundaries for yourself. I know that a lot of times we're yes people, you know, we want to please or people pleasers. But when you start setting boundaries for you and yourself, people respect that. People, because it shows that you value yourself when you're setting boundaries. So I totally agree with that. So I love the cover of your book. Can you show it again? I would love to. <laughs> Liberated. And what is the subtitle? What does it say underneath? Again, yeah, tell us. Releasing the dark cloud of shame. And my assistant, Mai, came up with this for me. I love her so much. Um, I, it's called Releasing the Dark Cloud of Shame because for 41 years, I felt like I had this oppressive shame cloud that was with me all the time. It was this dark, looming, just energy of all the things that I was feeling about myself. And I'd go to bed, it'd be there. I'd wake up in the morning, it would be there. And through all of the healing that I've done, my cloud is gone. And I look for that cloud and it is gone. And that's why I say life on the other side of healing is magical. Because now I have this blank canvas where I get to create my life and I'm really into manifesting. And um, so every morning I wake up and I have this beautiful practice with God. And if you don't believe in God or your source or universe or whatever that is, please don't turn off because I'm sharing my manifesting story. But it's this beautiful 
time of my morning that I get to co-create with God. And, you know, you were talking earlier about taking up space and it's also about like the desires that you have on your heart. Everything on your heart was given to you by God, source, universe, whatever you call it. And those desires are yours to have. And it's your only job every single day to know that you get to have those things, to feel what it feels like to have those things. I heard, uh, I don't know if you know who Amanda Francis is. She's, um, uh, she's a manifesting queen. And I heard her say that one time. I was like, oh my God, everything on my heart is mine to have. And so every day that's what I do. And I get up and I say, okay, what do I get to do today in order to move my desires and my passion forward? So, and that's really the book came, the book came out of all of that. I did not want to write a book. God wanted a book. <laughs> and so uh, my morning meditations led to the book coming out. So thank you for asking about it. I'm really proud of it. And it's a compilation of stories. It's not just me. It's other people sharing their stories that are similar to, to mine, similar children that acted out like I did. And there are stories of people who have been hurt and their healing and their forgiveness. And the last part of the book is really about, you know, you really do get to have everything. You get to heal and you get to thrive. So it came out November 1st and I'm, I'm really proud. Well, congratulations on the new book release. That's awesome. And, and it's great that there's lots of different stories in there because you get to see different people's experiences. And, and I like what you said about, you know, whatever's on your heart is, available to you you can manifest that you know because i i like the scripture that as a man thinks in his heart so is he right mm -hmm. and going back to um i'm into metaphysics and all that stuff and one of the first things i learned was like the divine laws of the universe and so yeah. the the law of mentalism thoughts become things yes you know and so everything true. starts with a thought Absolutely. And manifesting is in the Bible a number of times. So if you think it's woo woo, I encourage you to come over to my side and think it's woo hoo because <laughs> not only is it really fun, it, it's, it works like it's really, really powerful. Yeah. I, I agree. You know, I mean, speaking things into reality, yes. visualizing, um, one another great scripture is without a vision the people perish yeah you know, write the vision and make it plain so that he that may read it read it that may run with it there's a lot of different scriptures on manifesting and, yeah. and speaking and and visualizing all of those things are all throughout the bible you know um i really like what you were talking about about in a sense you were talking about moving from this dark cloud of shame that was constantly over you mm -hmm. to where you didn't have that anymore. And, you know, one of the tools that kind of helped me to move from limitations, right. To abundance or to a freedom mentality was inner child meditations, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we're going back to intimacy for a minute and, and you were talking about your quiet time in the morning. If anybody out there that's listening or watching is trying to get more intimate with people or with themselves, I think that you have to institute some kind of quiet time ritual, self-care, yeah. because it's during that quiet time, whether you're journaling, whether you're praying, whether you're meditating, to me that you're able to shed the shame, like you were saying, you're able to shed a lot of negativity. And 
one of the things I do in the morning is I check in with my inner child <laughs> that, you know, if, if someone out there has never heard of that, there is an idea that within each of us is an inner child. You know, we're the adult, but there's a little childlike part of us inside. And one of the st short stories that I used to teach when I was a, a teacher is called 11. And I think this is so powerful. It's only like a two page short story, but she says, when I turned 11, I realized that I was inside. I was 10 and nine and eight and seven and six and five and four and three and two and one. Mm -hmm. And all of those little parts of me were inside like nesting dolls. Now I'm putting this in my own words. She says it much more poetically. <laughs> and she said, and sometimes when my mom cries, I tell her that's the three-year-old part of her. And, and so it's, it goes much more in depth than that, but the idea that there's a part of you that's many different ages. And I have actually a little, I, I do workshops. So one of the graphics that I've created is called me and all my levels. And it's got like financial, social, emotional, you know, spiritual, and basically you put an age yeah. on that part of yourself. And this is when I talk about intimacy, being intimate with yourself, realizing that you have many different sides of yourself. Yeah. And all of those sides are not the same age. Some of us get stunted in growth. You know, emotionally, we may be much younger because there's a lot of trauma, a lot of things we didn't deal with. We didn't learn how to emotionally process, you know, our, our feelings, our thoughts. And so we may be acting out like a 15 year old <laughs> and we're 45, right? <laughs> but we can grow up. And so part to me, part of, of intimacy <laughs> with self is actually taking kind of the inventory of yourself. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You know, what, what areas do you have some immaturity? What areas do you need to grow? And I think it's really great to have quiet time with yourself and, and think about yourself and, and even converse with yourself. Is there anything lingering in there? Is there any dark cloud of shame or is there any hangups that you just haven't let go of? You know, so um, I do uh, have a guided journal and a part of my guided journal is just questions that you can ask yourself during your quiet time. And, and every time you come to a different page it's different questions. Cause I think a lot of us, we're, we live in a society that is constantly trying to distract us with movies and TV shows and events and video games and social media. Yeah. And part of that is taking us away from not only others, but ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we forget who we are in chasing after the next dollar, the next promotion, the next man or woman, whatever. And we forget. And I think sometimes the whole middle age crisis is I got to 45 and I don't know who I am. Yeah. I lost this job and I don't know who I am. I lost this marriage and I don't know who I am. My kids are moving out and I don't know who I am. And I think part of intimacy has to be staying in touch with who you are and what you believe and what you feel and think, and even shedding messages that don't resonate anymore. Yeah. You're there's some, like I said, you, there's a lot of unpacking around this conversation, but what's coming up for me right now is, you know, people who suffer from trauma, they don't want 
to be intimate with themselves because that's when they hear all the voices. That's when you have to deal with what has happened to you. So we numb with alcohol, we numb with drugs, we numb with social media, we numb with Facebook and Instagram to see how many people like us because we don't want to have to sit and be with ourselves and hear what needs to be healed because that's what's coming through is this is still here, this is still here. And I love that you talked about our our little children, because it just recently, it occurred to me that I was blaming that three-year-old little girl for getting hurt. I blamed her until I was 52 years old, 53 years old. And that little three-year-old little girl was the one that's been driving the bus my entire life. She's been the one that's been in control. And so I finally got to be at a place where I was like, oh, baby, I forgive you. You know, it wasn't your fault. And you don't have to drive the bus anymore. You just get to sit here. I just get to hug you and love on you because we have to love on our inner child, right? We have to take care of them. We have to let them know that whatever happened when we were young, whatever you did, whatever happened to you does not define you today. You are not what happened to you, you know? So thank you for bringing up those two things that really landed for me too. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I like what you just said about you are not what happened to you. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they may need that on a bumper sticker <laughs> or a t-shirt yeah. or to put it on their wall because you are not what happened to you. Yeah. You are a person that had a certain thing. And I think one, one term that I have fallen in love with this year is called reframing. Mm-hmm. Reframing means you take something that hurts you, but you reframe it. You basically, you see it differently. You verbalize it differently. Like, for example, when I first got divorced, I said, uh, I have two failed marriages. Reframing it, I, I don't say that anymore. I've even, I even had a guy today on Facebook because I, I, I was commenting on something and I said, yeah. you know, I've been divorced twice. And he says, well, how did you get to have two failed marriages? And I said to him what I say now, I don't have two failed marriages. I have two marriages that I chose to end yeah. because they were no longer healthy. Yeah. If I wanted to stay in those marriages, I could have. And many people do stay in marriages because they don't want a stigma or a label of failure. I am no more a failure or those marriages are no more a failure because I chose to leave than I'm a failure because I chose to retire. I said, I voluntarily retired from those relationships and I moved on. So I don't, there's no stigma in my mind anymore. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly why I was leaving. And I was completely justified. I had done everything in my power to make those situations work. You and that's brave. all that I can do. You were brave mm-hmm. and you were courageous to leave those yes. messages because they weren't healthy. Right, exactly. So reframing is another way of helping those inner children or those inner younger adults yeah. <laughs> to get away from that shame. Because no longer is that, you know, part of me that decided to get divorced, feeling that shame of divorce, because it was a choice that I made that I had the right to make. That was the right choice. And it doesn't matter whether anybody in society 
agrees with me. That person, that guy on Facebook could still be saying they're failed marriages. That doesn't change my reframing of it. Yeah. For me, it's a voluntary retirement from that marriage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for me, it's a decision to move on. It's a decision to be single. Okay. So I think that that's another powerful thing when we think about validating ourselves. You know, I think when you come to a certain level of intimacy, like I said, being honest with yourself, being authentic, saying, here's my flaws, here's my strengths, here's decisions I made that I thought about this way, but I want to reframe this way. I think that that also is part of the healing process. And, and we get to different levels of healing as we begin to take our power back through what we say, through how we think. I think we can take our power back and empower ourselves. Yeah, you just get to create a different perspective around it, right? You get to create a different story around it. You get a, it gets a new, it gets, sorry about that. It gets a different narrative. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, where can um, people who are looking for your book find your book? Yeah. On jillyschultz.com. It's buy the book. <laughs> ah. <a> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And we are kind of coming to not, we're, we don't have to wrap up like immediately, but we are kind of winding down. So I wanted you to, if there's anything that you feel like we really haven't covered that you wanted to tell about your story or um, your resources that you have for people, I wanted to, to give you some time to do that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, everything's on my website. So, you know, there's a couple of different worksheets on there that can help you to work through like uncovering your shame. And, and then I have one called seven critical steps to start the healing, which is available on there. Um, all of my social media is, uh, is noted on my, my website as well. So that's really the main source, but I always like to end with one saying, and I love it so much. And it's, uh, I do an abbreviated version of it. It's not verbatim, verbatim, but it's Neil Donald Walsh and it's life happens outside your comfort zone. So you get to look at the hard things in your life, whatever that cloud is over your head, whatever that shame is, and you get to face it head on because I'll say it again. Life on the other side of healing is magical. Like I'm, I wake up every day so blessed feeling so blessed and so content and so just peaceful. And I've never had that before because I was always living under all that shame and all that self-loathing. And, you know, you really do get to forgive yourself and love yourself and live the most beautiful life. So I like, I love that quote. I like that life exists and happens outside of your comfort zone that that's a pretty powerful thing because we i think a lot of us like to live in our comfort zone but oh, you're yeah. right when we get outside of our comfort zone that's when we have the most vibrant the most amazing lives yeah and and sometimes uh being intimate with ourselves can be <laughs> outside of our comfort zone 100%. <laughs> facing ourselves percent. <laughs> yeah well, I wanted to thank you for coming out and sharing your book with us, your resources yeah. with us. And, and, you know, you have your website that people can go to. And I wanted to thank you just for coming out and sharing the whole journey from where you were 
under the cloud of shame and shedding that shame to become liberated. (laughs) It's liberating. Yes. Yes. Like your book says. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And to my guests, may you walk in synergy. Have a great day. Love it. Zenashea, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.